0: industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of e trade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. e trade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase, globally erasing product and technology.
1: Good morning from California and welcome to Race Industry Now the technical and business webinar series from ePortrade presented to you by ARP and Performance Plus Global Logistics. I am Francisque Savignan, the founder and CEO of ePortrade, the global platform for the performance and racing industry. This is episode 230, and we're going to be talking metal knowledge for safety and success with AED Metal Product and Supplies. With me this morning, our wonderful host, Mr. Brad Gilley, And Judy Keen won't be with us today. She is traveling. She was invited to put a motorsport panel together at a military conference. And so there's a lot of tight in uh, between the motorsport and the military. And there's a lot of people in military uh, looking at technologies uh, uh, coming from motorsport. So Judy has been uh, invited to put together a great panel. So she won't be with us today, but she will be back next week. So today we have a terrific webinar. So Mr. Gillis, How are
2: you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Francis?
1: Very good. Thank you, Brad. I think we are going to bring our guest with us. I see Al uh, already on, and I believe Murph is along with him. So we're going to ask them to start their camera and microphone and We'll let you take over, Brad.
2: That sounds great. Thank you, Francis. And thank you both, Al and Murph. Uh, as Francis mentioned earlier, today's topic metal knowledge and say uh, metal knowledge for safety and success by AED metal products and supplies. And our two panelists today, Al Lowe, the president of AED metal products and Boyce Industries, and Murph McKinney, the president of McKinney Corp., a partner of Boyce Industries and a chassis builder. So, Al, let me start with you first of all and just give us a little bit of background about AED you guys are a couple years away from a 30th anniversary, which is pretty exciting, but tell us about the company and what you offer.
3: So we're a global metals distributor that originally focused on the automotive racing market. Um, today, we cater to about 3,000 customers globally. Uh, we cover everything from auto racing, uh, every type of performance um, competition equipment that's out there, aerospace and aircraft. Um, we've got a very generous mix of all forms of racing, with the exception of Formula One. Um, all right. been doing this for 28 years and uh, um, have a very, very strong uh, knowledge of the products and
2: applications for these products in the industry. Uh, it, most definitely as well. Murph, let's uh, let's talk about you a little bit. Tell us about McKinney Corp and how you guys partner with Boyce Industries and what you do as a chassis builder.
4: Well, uh, we've been in business since 1981, uh, prim- primarily started as building uh, chassis for the sport of drag racing, the uh, funny cars and, and dragsters. We continue to do that today in both the alcohol and fuel classes. Um, we've uh, got involved with uh, AED as a supplier. They were our supplier for uh, quality materials. And then um, we, have uh, down the road, got involved in Voice Industries in the tube bending and fabrication uh, side of it.
2: Wonderful. Uh, I do want to let anyone watching right now know, first of all, thank you for uh, participating. But if you have a question for either Al or Murph, and uh, you can always type it into the chat. And along the way, there you are. We can see you guys. Fantastic. Um, if uh, if you do have a question uh, for either of our panelists, just type it into the chat at any time. And as we move on along the way, we'll certainly try and work as many of those questions in as we possibly can. Uh, Al, if you would talk about the differences, you know, we talked about aed metal products and then we talk about voice industries and i know uh murph sort of referenced this a little bit when it comes to tube bending but tell us the difference about the two sides of it
3: well aed is predominantly a metal supplier uh, we do some first stage processing of materials cut to length and uh, forming things like that um, but we didn't have the ability to do true bending true forming so we acquired voice industries in 2019 voice is a strong old company that had been known for frame rails and exhaust systems, oval tubes and such. So adding that complement to AED was a great advantage for our current customer base at AED, but it's also been an advantage for the customer base that we inherited with Boyce Industries. AED is a very strong consumer buyer of products globally, and we're able to pass those savings and those accomplishments on to both companies' customers. So we're seeing a lot of cross-population of those customers. But Murph's part of it was that Boyce is able to do the tube forming, that McKinney Corp didn't have the abilities to. And you may want to mention something on that, Murph.
4: Yeah, we, uh, Boyce can bend up to five inch round uh, a tube, square rectangle tube, which uh, we didn't have any the capacity to do that. It's opened up a lot of doors for us on the commercial side, um, where we do tube assemblies for people like Caterpillar and Caterpillar suppliers uh, for their uh, proof design. Uh, product.
2: Very nice. Well, let's talk about uh, forming and different things that you do and sort of jump into where our topic is and some of the common customer questions that you get as well and why customers might ask you, is the material formable?
3: That's a loaded question today. Um, it's very important for our customers to understand the nature of how materials are manufactured today. Um, the, the materials, whether it's a tube or a sheet, Uh, product or a bar product is not made like it was 20 years ago. Uh, We have a lot of uh, uh, what we call a uh, mini mill, and they tend to manufacture out of uh, secondary recycled scrap-based materials. So that begins the first start of where these materials capabilities are. Um, In the auto racing market, we've been able to move form shape materials that really aren't supposed to be shaped Our 4130 chromoly was designed as a straight tube application versus a bent tube application but we bend them every day so it's important for the customer to share with their supplier what they're doing so we can help them guide them or their supplier can help guide them into the right mechanical properties the tensils the yields the elongations and the differences between the different grades of material you may have the sense that I'm buying 6061 aluminum tube, but don't realize there's a difference between a drawn product and an extruded product. One product is very ductile, very formable, drawn. An extruded product tends to be very brittle and not quite as strong as a drawn product. So these are all important things for for our customers to understand. Um, Metals for success and safety, Um, we look back at the engineering of 4130, which began in the late 1890s, um, we still today manufacture that material very much the same way. So we're using old technology to accomplish new technological advances. 4130 was was uh, adopted by the uh, Air Corps, the, the Army Air Corps in 1926 as the go-to frame material. And over the years, 1960s, it became the go-to product for drag car building. 1978, it was specified by SFI as the product to build these cars out of. Um, In 2013, we brought a product over from Europe called Docal, advanced high-string steel tubes. Many people are very much aware of it. Uh, It's a very good product. It's a very structurally sound. It has high tensils and mechanicals. Um, It's more formable. It's more consistent. It makes for a better fabrication process. The point with this timeline is that all of our materials over the years have developed into better products, and we need to explore what is out there for our application.
2: When you say better product, too, uh, you know, sometimes people look at this is the next generation of this or this now is a better product for that. But does that necessarily mean that it replaces a product?
3: It can in some instances, depending on how that material was made and what the application is. Uh, Twenty years ago, a welded steel tube would never have been in a race car of any of any performance. Today, the docol tube is a welded tube. Our welding technologies in our mills today are much more consistent than they were 20 years ago under a controlled environment, much like our our welders in the, in the fab shops. And I think Murph probably has some comment about that as to how they adopted and, and adjusted to the newer materials and grades.
4: Yeah, you've got to be really careful today in today's market because we are a global economy and you've got to be careful where it comes from. Uh, not everybody plays by the same playbook and it ends up over here on our on our shelf sometimes. Um, and, and the problem being that in race car manufacturing, we always want to go faster and quicker. So weight is always an issue. So traditionally, most cars are not built with very much margin of safety. So if you've been using a product for, for quite a while that's, that's worked, but now you have more horsepower, more stress, but the material is not quite what it used to be, you may be infringing upon that envelope of margin safety, if you can tell you that.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about then microstructure and the significance.
4: Well,
3: it's something that many people haven't looked at until the last uh, 10 or 15 years. Historically, we, we based our decisions on the strength of material by surface hardness, Rockwell. Uh, and then we would look at some tensils and yields. But today, while tensile and yield is an important factor of cons- considering the capability of the material, it's truly the microstructure. There's many different type of structures that are out there. Um, our material is a ferretic martensite material, which I like to break that down a little bit into simple description. It's like having a bucket full of tennis balls and ping pong balls. Uh, the tennis balls give it some some ductility and the ping pong balls give it some strength. Um, This is common with more of the alloys and materials that we're manufacturing with today. Um, We don't produce in the mills to a AMS specification as often as we used to. Today, an engineer will go to a a steel company and say, we need a steel that will form like this, weld like this, deform like this, and be consistent as such, like our streetcars and trucks. We use the advanced high-string steels, and they have unique microstructures that might be two different microstructures as a dual phase. They might be a triple phase or a tri-phase, and it might have three different microstructures, whereas a 4130 tube, and I refer to that because it's the oldest and it's most popular, but it, it had, has two microstructures, but not significantly different as we do with today's technology. This is not just common in our in our uh, tubular products, but our bar products today uh, are are very much structured um, and considered by what is inside that microstructure. Okay, Um, we utensils and yields.
2: Okay, thank you. We did have a question someone asking you about the history of forty-one thirty. I think you uh, covered that a minute ago, but um, I'm going to get out of order here on the chat just a little bit. Someone said, "Could your group uh, explain?" how a new material that I developed could be brought to the table for a new grade option. I've developed a new grade that has mechanical properties and fatigue properties as good if not superior to 4130. How would someone come about introducing something new?
4: Well, I, I can tell you how the doe call went through that process. And that is, uh, it had independent lab testing done to it in uh, parallel to 4130 to see uh, compared to 4130, if it was a uh, uh, the, the, the pros and cons between between both, and then uh, that particular uh, two went through the SFI process to be accepted into the SFI spec for for motorsports.
2: Okay, and that's that's a pretty informative right there. Uh, another question from the chat, it says, what's your take on, and, and if I've mispronounced it, is it bono metal? Uh, bono metal lacks stress-relieving system for welded structures.
4: Sure. That's a good one. You guys use yeah. that. Um, a lot of people look at that and think that that's uh, black magic because you can't really see anything happening, um, but I can tell you that it does work. Um, a, a very good explanation to that is if you take two two plates that lay one one on top of the other and weld the seam on one side when it cools it's going to open up like this if you do that with a a a metal axe system it it will not it will not move that system does two things it does weld conditioning and stress relieving so it conditions that weld as it cools and keeps it from moving so for instance in a dragster you have this this large structure of all these tubes and you need the the input shaft into the rear end to to line up within 10 or 12 thousandths. And before that, it was hit or miss. So when you got that structure all welded up, it's going to pull one way or the other. Some guys would have two guys welding down both sides of the car at the same time to 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 keep it from moving. But if you use the metal act system, the weld conditioning system that they have, it will condition that weld and it, it won't move. It's a great system.
2: Okay. Uh, and again, if you have a question, uh, feel free to type it into the chat. We'll try and answer as many of those as we can. Uh, let's talk about just the metal industry right now and, and what's happened to uh, cause delayed lead times.
3: Well, obviously, we have a supply chain issue, but uh, I, I think a lot of it originates to the number of employees that uh, were furloughed due to the COVID some years back. And then we've we've kind of ex- escalated into a lot of different um, scenarios along the way our biggest challenges is the the raw material making it to the mills Um, most of the of the high-end materials come from overseas Um, what what mills produce higher grade alloys and and steels and aluminums here in the states or north america uh, they're facing the same problems everybody else did they're short on people they're short on incoming raw material and, and and then times are busy everybody's grappling at whatever they can get their hands on. This is a situation we're going to be faced with for the next three or four quarters, for sure. Um, Is there any way for us uh, distributors to improve it? No, buy ahead. Uh, Right now, AED historically buys one year in advance. Now we're, we're already looking into third quarter 2024. So those who are worried about their supply need to be very close to their distributors. They need to keep in touch with what their needs are spend as much time and energy passing that information to their distributors as possible, so they can make their plans, but also don't delay if you need product get your, get your orders in today. We see lead times from distribution materials from two to five weeks, we see lead times from our mills from 11 months to 18 to 22 months.
2: Wow. How does all that start to stack up on each other? And and what I mean by that is, you know, let's just say a company like AED, you know, you're planning not just ahead, but you're planning way far ahead. Maybe not every company is doing that. And all of a sudden, you feel like you're in a great position for taking care of the customer base that you have and maybe growing a little bit. But all of a sudden, now, boom, you get maybe a flood of new people coming in because they can't find something anywhere else. Now it has a different impact on your business. How does that work?
3: Sure. Sure. Uh, The biggest impact we've had is on our 4130, and we're very fortunate. We work with a tube mill out of uh, Sand Springs, Oklahoma, Webco Industries. Uh, We've had a uh, 20-year relationship with this mill. So we can exercise a little bit of creativity as to how our products are distributed to us and and when they move. Uh, We not only keep inventory from their facility here um, on our books, but we have inventory on their floor, too, for release as necessary.
2: Okay. And, and your customer base at AED, you know, they talk about the size of, um, you know, are, are we talking small race shops to big operations? How does that work?
3: Sure. So we have customers that walk in the door and need to make a Nerf bar for their kids' go-kart. We take care of numerous teams around the country, around the globe. Um, many, many fabricators, uh, major, major fabricators are in our books. And then we also supply a number of other metals distributors around the world. So we have people that distribute some of our our proprietary products uh, and some that just buy commodity products uh, within the high-strength materials in Australia, Japan, uh, Europe, New Zealand, and uh, Sweden. So we've got a a good large customer base that consumes high volumes of materials, which helps us take care of the smaller customers.
2: Okay. that That's great. Uh, a question from the chat. Uh, Murph, does it matter what brand of welder is used for the process that you were just speaking of? There are several quality brands out there, but just curious if you have a preference or recommendation.
4: Well, we have a preference. You're going to get me in trouble here.
0: <laughs> get, because
4: any any welding machine will work. Uh, we at McKinney Corp uh, uh, use just uh, newer welders. Um, but uh, it, it, along those lines, you have to be also very cautious of all the materials in those consumables in the welding process, your gases, your filler rod, your uh, electrodes. Again, all all of that today, um, there's good and there's bad out there. And you may think that your gas is coming from a a reliable vendor, but any contamination at all is going to contaminate your weld joint.
2: Okay. And, and, and to that, Al, um, if you go to the AED website and uh, with Boyce Industries, um, you, you, you supply more than just metal products. I mean, there are tools and welders and other things like that, correct?
3: Right, right. We do supply some small, um, more of a, not a commercial size, size welder, but some of the smaller equipment that, that a small fab shop or a, a race team or a small builder would want to have.
2: Okay. All right. What are C of C and why are they important to a customer?
3: Certificate of conformance, Uh, that's typically a form that we would prepare to identify a material's capabilities. It's tensile mechanical properties, it's yield properties, it's elongation properties. Uh, It also would detail chemistry. Now, that also goes along with a mill test report or a mill certificate. Uh, That's very important for particularly when you're buying a structural component, a roll cage, a chassis, a driver's cell. Uh, anyone that, that has one of those made for them should ask the seller or the manufacturer, do you have CFC or certificates of conformance, or do you have a mil cert on this material so that you know you're buying a good product. As Murph referenced a couple of times, there's a lot of good material out there and there's some questionable material. And You can identify a lot of the good and the bad on paper. So we expect our customers to ask us for these test reports. We supply them as required. We also encourage them to get them so they have them on file for their customers.
2: Okay, and I think that goes... Oh, go ahead, Murph, sorry. I think,
4: that's a, I think that's a requirement with NHRA. Well, we'll take that one step further. Just because you have a CFC doesn't mean that every piece of tube out of that lot is going to conform. That's why the SFI spec requires you to do a tensile test on every tube, every length of tube that you use. At McKinney Corp, every every tube that we cut that we bring in one inch and larger is tested. And there's about a about an eight to eleven percent rejection rate in that. So again, because we're we're, we're designing to such a, a, a very narrow margin, safety of margin on a race car, you have to qualify every tube that you use that it does meet what the COC says it says that it is.
2: Wow. Um, And I think that probably answers a question that just came in. Uh, When you purchase material, do you require material certs as done in the aerospace industry?
4: Yes. Yes.
3: Yes. Everything we purchase is fully certifiable.
2: Okay, great. Um, Have you found that some of the material and processes you've used in motorsports are transferable to aviation and vice versa?
3: Absolutely. We're actually seeing a a strong um, transition from the race car manufacturers or component manufacturers to start finding aircraft and aerospace work. Because of our nature, we tend to engineer and move forward quicker. We, we don't spend as much time pondering a concept as just getting, getting the job taken care of. So we actually do a lot of trade with the, with the experimental aviation market, and we see a lot of cross-pollination between racing people and aircraft people trading um, experiences and capabilities and such. It's very popular.
2: That that's really neat. How um, you know a lot of industries sometimes sort of end up, um, you know, being cohesive like that, and in uh, things that they learn. Um, the benefit for a customer to buy from a company that's ISO certified. Could you expand on that?
3: I think Murph's a good one. I mean, we are ISO certified, and it puts us to a task that uh, requires us to maintain traceability, identification, characteristics of a material, where it goes, where it came from, but it's more impactful for our customer, MRF, that, that's going to
4: be welding it up or fabricating it. Yeah, we're also an ISO 9000 shop, and uh, it just gives you a, a really a good uh, control on conformance for traceability um, product that, uh, for some reason, it doesn't meet the standard uh, through corrective action reports so that the, the process is not repeated again. Uh, the standards for welding settings on every product that you make so that you have, uh, so that you're compliant in your system throughout the whole manufacturing process.
2: I'm curious what happens, you know, Murph, you were just talking about how uh, each tube is tested and you have, you know, what, about an 8% rejection rate or something like that. What happens to that? Does that become waste material? Does it go back? Uh, is it able to be used in some other type of industry or something else?
4: We use it as a non structural components, non structural parts that we build. So, okay, the, difference so- there, the difference there is that, that
3: the mechanical tolerances that we buy the material to per a specification, an AMS specification or an SAE specification, that, that tolerance is much greater than what some organizations have narrowed down. In this case, NHRA, SFI have narrowed that, that range down, which is a positive, but, but that tube is still suitable for many, many other applications under that specification.
2: Okay, no, and that, that's great, because right? it, then it's it's not waste, or it's not a hassle if it's still usable. Um, what is the, uh, let me make sure I'm not missing one here. Okay. Uh, uh, with the current geopolitical landscape, has there been any shortage on certain materials, or maybe restrictions from governments about certain materials? or are, are, are people hoarding? Um, is that affecting anything like that?
3: there's some hoarding that's gone on um there's not a lot to hoard out there right now there are some political situations that have occurred um ad actually has a number of customers that are in the ukraine and russia and uh, those orders were all canceled pretty quick but for those in the in the motorsport and aircraft industry 4132 uh comes from a hollow product and many of those hollows not all but many of the hollows originated in ukraine uh, it's a very, very good product, and there is a supply chain shortage of that. So it's the burdens being put on the United States, Canada, and uh, Germany to to make up those hollows, and it is going to be a problem.
2: You know you mentioned three to four quarters on something like that. You know, do, do you anticipate even at the you know the grassroots level or whatever it might be um, potential of increased lead times and different things like that? Uh, I think
3: that everybody should be prepared and. and and plan as far ahead as they possibly can. Uh, again, I'm buying for 24. I don't think a I don't think a sprint car manufacturer should be buying for 2024, but they they shouldn't be looking, you know,
4: month to month. They should be looking quarter to quarter right now.
2: Okay, and Murph, I might have uh, jumped in on you there for a second, Jeff. Something That's to add
4: okay. on our commercial side. I can tell you that yes, we are hoarding. We. Uh, <laughs> We, uh, we have uh, contracts with, with uh, Caterpillars or their sub suppliers to supply them next number of components a month, um, wh- where we used to buy 5,000 pounds of steel at a time, we're now buying 40,000 pounds of steel at a time so we can guarantee our price and we've got availability to meet our contracts.
2: Wow. And and on your side of things, you have to, um, you know, I mean, if you want to continue to maintain and run a business, I think, you know, some people worry about, like you mentioned, with Ukraine or something like that, or if even countries are worried about, um, you know, exports affecting what they need uh, within their own domestic region, if that is, uh, if that's causing problems of things, you know, things even getting on a boat to come over here or something like that. So um, it's, you know, it's interesting and that's a whole different world of stories, but it's nice that, you know, with AED, uh, with what you have going on Murphy McKinney Corp and everything that, that y'all are thinking ahead because a lot of times on the end user, uh, we're not always. right. So uh, has there been any research on fatigue life of a drag race chassis, especially top fuel and funny car, uh, like the structural life in hours of an airframe?
4: Yes. Um, we've got a slide there if you want to pull up. Um, it's either called TF Quarter or TF side, or if you want to do uh, one of each of those, we have software called finite element analysis that allows us to build a model of the car and put in all the loads uh, that the car sees, aerodynamic loads, engine torque loads, the weights of the driver and so forth. And then we can cycle that too. There's there's two types of fatigue. There's high cycle, uh, uh, low stress and high stress, low cycle. Top fuel car is uh, high stress, low cycle. Um, but you can see the deformations that you see there, and basically what the FEA uh, software allows us to do, the, the brighter colors are a higher stress area, uh, the, the green and yellows are a lower stress area. When we first started this, you would see high stress areas throughout the car. And over the years, we've uh, designed the car structurally to balance the stresses throughout the whole car. so that you don't see a high, a, a, a central high stress area in one one spot of the car. So uh, there's a side view of that too. Also, I believe, yeah. So uh, yes, we, we it, it comes back and tells you how much stress and how much def- deformation is in every tube in the whole car.
2: That's that's pretty fascinating, you know. And and of course, a lot of that uh, obviously it happens with. You know, thousands and thousands of horsepower, but it also happens in 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 less than four seconds. Does the time frame of that uh, make a difference as to where, if you were modeling something that might see those stresses for longer? Uh,
4: Yeah, well, that's what that, that's why it's a it's a, a a high stress, low cycle. There's 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 not a lot of cycles in it. Other, believe it or not, hauling in the race car and the shutdown area actually has more. Does more damage to the car than going down the racetrack a quarter mile or the 1,000 foot.
2: Wow. Now, now that really is interesting. Um, is there any paperwork or permissions for sales of these materials outside of uh, the U.S.?
3: Paperwork or permissions. We sell uh, all these materials are distributed globally.
2: So there's no, you know, um, I I don't know, wood and metal are two different things, but, you know, but there's no reason like this or anything that you would need to, you know, or any countries or any requirements of that you're selling it or does our government require what you can sell to other companies or countries?
3: Our government clearly spells out what countries we can and cannot ship to, Um, you know, North Korea being a prime one. Um, There's a few other countries that we're not allowed to ship to. We have more constraints on the packaging materials. Which is something that's very, very hard for our international customers to digest. We have to follow through with ISPM standards, which has to do with your wood, being sure that's heat treated or fumigated, no bugs move around. So that's probably the biggest challenge in, in documentation that we have to proof out versus selling the materials. There are some, some areas of the globe that we send materials out that are very common, commonly used for weapons manufacturing. Uh, which is not necessarily the case that it's going for. So we have to provide some additional documentation as to where it's going and validation as to who's buying it.
2: Okay. Uh, As we talk about technologies continuing to develop, how rapid does that happen? And, you know, it's one thing to come up with new ideas or what we were talking about sort of at the beginning of this. It's another thing for those to be able to become implemented in racing series or things like that. So in in that whole idea of, you know, chasing what you need, especially lighter weight and all of that, how, how rapid does that
4: change?
3: Murph, you're building the cars. You, you're, you're better to speak to that. I see the change on the material supply side.
4: Yeah, you, you just have to always be open-minded and know what your constraints are so that um, as you apply the newer technologies, you know, you know that they're going to fit within the constraints that, that the car is going to require.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's interesting the the way all of these things work, and especially with a lot of the different products and services. And, Al, we did talk about some of the other things that you guys have. Um, you know, again, if we can go back to uh, not just the raw material, but what Voice Industries does and everything, and as far as, you know, what options I would have out there for being able to get an end product, maybe even something that I don't have as much to do with or have to do as much with, because we can get it from you that way, especially forming and bending and all of that. Mm-hmm.
3: So the, the merge of, of all three companies partnering together has really allowed us to do much more finished application. Um, AD secures the raw material. We may do a first stage operation. Boyce Industries can take that raw material. We can bend it into a frame rail. We can make it into some type of uh, uh, suspension component. We might be able to make a full exhaust system. Boyce does some light fabrication. Uh, we do some light machine work, uh, drilling, uh, we do some welding. But for anything heavy, uh, we send up to McKinney Corps. Of course, we have the advantage of using some of their machines for first stage, second stage processing, water jet, uh, mills, uh, lathes, et cetera. Um, so we're, we're able to give our customers a much more complete part or product Uh, One of the advantages of that today is that our our freight rates are so expensive on long product. So we just define long product as really anything over 12 foot long, while most of our tubes that we're shipping to build race cars or aircraft are in the the 20 to 24 foot range. So whatever we can do to compress that, that overall length down and put it onto a pallet is much more beneficial to our customers. So we're giving them value added steps in the process but we're saving them freight and it also saves a lot of packaging material as well
2: could i almost go so far as to effectively if i knew the sizes and the bends and the different things i want almost um order what, what could become a chassis kit if you will yes
3: absolutely between the two companies mckinney voice the three companies and AD, you could order a chassis kit
2: how does that process work
3: uh we have to start with your design. We have to start with, you know, what, what's within your design that fits our capabilities? And typically, that's tooling. That's usually the first, the first uh, difficult point we have is your, your angles and your bend radiuses. What are you trying to accomplish? What kind of area do we have to work with? Uh, what machines do we need to process? We've looked at everything from a basic race car to vintage historic cars that they want us to manufacture everything front to rear except for the coach work. So it really just takes some time and energy. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of onus on the, on the person who wants to have this done. Uh, one of the largest challenges that we face are getting the, the component or the, the part of the chassis put into some type of CAD drawing. That's a very, very expensive part of it. So that's the first thing that, that helps us provide you with a fair bid on your project.
2: That That is really neat. Again, if anyone has a question, feel free to type it into the chat. Um, we'd love to hear from you as well. What are some things, you know, some more common questions? I know we had talked earlier about, you know, a lot of people ask about the material being formable and and what that means. But what are maybe some common questions that you do get from customers?
3: So right now, one of our more common questions is on the tube forming side. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of difference if we're working with a mild steel, and aluminum, or a 4130, a higher grade material. Um, hey, last year we could form this tube and we didn't have any problems. This year now we form it and the tube breaks on us or now it wrinkles. So what we're seeing the mills doing because of the climate, because of the economy, because of the supply chain problem, particularly on on linear products, your, your bar stocks, your tubes, the mill wants to buy it by the pound. They buy the steel by the pound. They sell it by the foot. So as they want to improve their yield, they're going to reduce the thickness of the material. While we're still bound by a a manufacturing specification, dimensionally and within chemistry and mechanicals, there's freedom for the mill to work within there. And the more freedom they take, the less expensive it is. And one of the biggest areas that we struggle with is they take mass away. They take the thickness of the material away which creates problems for murph in a finished consistent assembly. It causes problems for us in a, in a tube bend. And these are just all things that, that go along with the with the, the nature of our climate right now.
4: Yeah, I'd like to mention along the same lines, the difference between the 4132 and the docol tube is that the 4132 is a, a seamless pierced tube. So it's a... It, it, it's pierced, and the wall thickness is not concentric all the way around the tube. The, the docol tube is made from a flat sheet and rolled and welded, so it is perfectly concentric all the way around the tube. Again, when you're designing to minimum uh, small envelope of margin of safety, that becomes an issue.
2: How do, uh, you know, it, it, I guess as the end user then, how do I know what I'm getting? How do, how do we manage that together, let's say?
3: Now, one of the things that AED does with our 4130, because of those variables uh, and because of our understanding of the auto, auto racing market and how they use it, we order our material a little differently than just a, a broad general specification. We take that, that AMS spec and we say, we want our mechanicals to be up here. We want our minimum thickness to be up here so that our customer gets the best opportunity to use a product within their expectation, but also within their rules. So we're giving them a little more margin for error or margin for safety in the way we
4: buy it.
2: Okay. That that's uh, it's interesting. And see, these are all good things to know again, especially considering when you're looking at uh, what supplier you're going to use on either end of the thing, whether it is through what Murph is doing, or, you know, just going direct with raw raw materials, uh, exactly what you guys are doing because of actually having that, that racers mindset understanding what they need and understanding what some of the uh, specifics are how often do some of those things change uh typically within sanctioning bodies is that something that um you know we pretty much found pretty consistent standards or at least until something new comes along
3: change is always prevalent uh for my side of the business with our tubular side we really don't see tubes going obsolete they they the dimensions might be changed as they work their way up into class. The uh, sanctioning body might change a dimension here or there, but I I don't really see that that much. I think it's more by the car builder that has to fulfill a, uh, a specification per, per sanctioning body, per per spec car, what
4: have you. Yeah. I think first of all, people don't like change. So when change comes about, Typically, in a sanctioning body, it's it's very very slow to, to, to come about uh, for for a lot of different reasons. Um, but uh, uh, typically, it the good rises to the top and it, it comes about.
2: Murph, would, be there, would there be anything I would need to know? Let's just say I bought a chassis that had been used for however many number of years. Maybe it had been sitting for a handful of years and, you know, some things needed to be updated on it or different things like that. What would I actually need to know, especially when I'm looking for what material to uh, do the repairs?
4: Well, you need to do a really good visual inspection of the car or not even uh, uh, how, how straight all the tubes are but uh, for any uh, yield or stress in the heat affected zone of the the well joints. And that a lot of time takes a magnifying glass to get in there and look at that. Um, But the the, the specs haven't changed tremendously over the years. I think the last big change was in 08 on the the fuel cars. Um, Again, going back to some earlier comments we made, the, the best practices that that are followed by fabricators in the motorsports is the a- aviation aircraft best practices. And just be sure that, that all those best practices have been followed on that car. If someone has just uh, taken and wire welded the tab onto your car in the middle of a tube, that's probably not the best practice to be doing. Or if they've uh, um, butted, uh, done a repair, has the repair, repair been done correctly? like uh, the aircraft maintenance manual calls for and i can tell you walking through the pits a lot of times that's not what you see
2: yeah i get that um another quick question for the panelists uh and we'll make this our last one there are definitely some sanctioning bodies that are proactive on safety compared to others have you seen many sanctioning bodies become more proactive on safety um don't necessarily need to name names but maybe even types of racing
3: well, I think at our pro ranks, we're seeing the best safety practices implemented, or at least the, the, the effort being placed there. I think our, our biggest problem is at the grassroots racing, our sprint cars, our midgets, our late models, modifieds. Uh, I think they all have good intent. They have good rules, but they need to follow through and, and, and enforce those rules. Um, they need to inspect the cars a little more frequently and a little more closely, but that's part of racing. Uh, unfortunately, there's there's always a fear for a promoter or a sanctioning body to lose car count, and and they all live with that. But I think if we could, you know, continue to teach and, and put some onus on the competitor, put the put the driver in the
4: responsibility to take care of his, his himself the best he can. Yeah, there's been great strides in safety over the last 10 or 15 years. Huge strides. The professional racer is usually at the front line of that. And knows about that and is able to uh, capitalize on that. And as Al said, the grassroots racer is at the bo- you know, is at the, the, the bottom of the tree on that. And how do we get that information down to him? How do we make sure that he understands how important that is, even to him? If he's a Saturday night racer, uh, it's just as important to him as it is to the professional racer.
2: Yeah, well, Al, Murph, um, uh, again, another very educational week here with our race industry now. Really appreciate uh, you sharing what you do uh, with AED and with Boyce and McKinney Corp. And thank you so much for today. Thank you,
3: you, Brad. Uh, Sorry
1: about that. Al, you you had a um, timeline uh, that you prepared. Would you like us to share that with you? Yeah, I I got
3: sidetracked on that. But if you want to show that for a moment to everyone, it's very interesting to see you know when when did 4130 develop and you can see that in the uh in the 1880s uh, 1890s where the the product was was developed in 1915 1920 you know towards the end of world war 1 that really forced the the development of a seamless tube uh, as i said in 1926 the army air services identified 4130 as the go-to product and then, uh, you know, gradually works its way through the, the 60s and 70s. But in essence, we're still producing 4130 to the same manufacturing process, the same chemistries, the same mechanical properties. We haven't, 4130 hasn't grown with the, with the competitive nature of our sport. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Think about all the materials you're building with and, and what might be the next best option. At the at the distribution level, you can't have all the the wow zip bang steels and, and aluminums that the aircraft industry, the aerospace industry has. But you can certainly search out what might be better.
1: That's Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, you know, again. What a great webinar. Thank you so much for your time today. This webinar has been recorded. It will be posted later on the ePortrait platform and distributed through our newsletter, the platform and our uh, you know uh, social media channels. We have pushed uh, AED's products back on the homepage of ePortrait. So please take advantage of it. Go on the platform, log in, and uh, we will be back next Wednesday. We will be live again. Judy will be back with us. And we're going to be talking uh, with Ellen on racing, lubrification, and racing fuel for a motorcycle and power, uh, power sports application. So thank you very much for being with us and uh, we'll see you guys live next week. Bye-bye.
5: Registering on ePAR is easy. To start, click on the Join for Free button on the homepage. First, search your company to see if it's already in our database. If you see your company on the list, Click on it to select it. Then, choose Claim Company if you are one of the decision makers, an owner, marketing person, or main company contact. Or choose Join Company if you are an employee, and press Continue. If you couldn't find your company in our database, select Register a new company. On the following page, fill out your name, email, phone number, job title, and choose a secure password. If you chose register a new company, you'll need to choose your business type. Select supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to source new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional race team. Then enter your company name. Please provide a website, Facebook page, or LinkedIn if you have one, and choose to either claim or join the company. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Finally, click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. An email will be sent to your inbox. Please confirm your email address and you will be approved shortly. Welcome to ePARTrade.